Well, good morning, church. All right. It's good to worship together. Hey, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. If you're new with us, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and we're making our way through 1 and 2 Samuel. And yes, it's going to take us a while to get through all of it. We're actually going to cover one full chapter today. First Samuel chapter 3, we'll cover the entire chapter. In verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Even Eli's there singing the song we just sang, right? And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so for those of you who... Uh, haven't been with us or, 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 or you're new or maybe you've forgotten where we've been, let me get, give a little bit of context because 1 Samuel chapter 3 uh, needs some understanding about where we've been because the Lord speaks some things that um, have been spoken to Eli by a prophet in chapter 2. But that's not where the book of 1 Samuel begins. The book of 1 Samuel begins in more of an obscure place. It begins in a place uh, with a woman named Hannah and not just any woman named Hannah, but a, a woman who is barren, meaning she can't have children. And it's this very uh, low point in her life. And, and if you'll remember in the teaching, like all the ramifications of barrenness in that day laid upon Hannah. And, and that grief and that uh, pain brought her to a right place before the Lord. 
just laying down, bearing her soul before the Lord. And if you remember Eli, the same Eli in this story, Eli is the high priest, okay? Eli, the high priest, sees Hannah in the temple, right, in the tabernacle, uh, like bearing her soul before the Lord. And, and do you remember what Eli said to her? He's like, how long are you going to be drunk, woman? Right? That's my translation. But that, that's, that's what it says. Like, how long are you going to go on drinking and being drunk? And, and Hannah was like, oh, my Lord. Like, Eli, I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm just, I'm a woman in pain. I'm a woman in anguish, bearing my soul before the Lord. And then Eli rightly wakes up and is like, oh, that's right. This woman is just rightly worshiping before the Lord, lamenting and, and bearing her soul before the Lord. And uh, he blesses her. And from there, from that blessing and from that encounter, Hannah's whole countenance changes. Do you remember that? Hannah's whole demeanor changes. Like her face lights up. She, she was fasting. She now begins to eat, First uh, Samuel tells us. Uh, however, we still don't know if the, the answer to her prayer request, if you will, has been answered. But what has been answered is the very thing that we all need. The presence of God has met her in the place where she is, right? Maybe if we keep using the analogy from worship, right? Right in the middle, right where Hannah is, God has met her there, and that changes everything about Hannah. Well, the story goes on. Uh, Hannah does uh, conceive a child, Samuel, right? Conceive a child named Samuel, and Hannah sings this beautiful song of praise to the Lord. This is found in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, uh, talking about humility and pride, and it's just, it's great. You should read it if, if, if you haven't. And so it's kind of this high moment. Hannah conceives a child, Samuel, Samuel's born, Samuel's dedicated to the Lord, given over to Eli the high priest, takes this Nazarite vow. Hannah sings a song of worship to God. And then in chapter 2, 1 Samuel chapter 2, this was two weeks ago, um, it kind of comes crashing back down. And we hear the story of Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who are exploiting their position, who are absolutely creating dysfunction and disorder in the house of God. And God will not tolerate that, as I, I mentioned two weeks ago. But yet, even in that moment, there's this bright, flickering light known as Samuel, and it says in, in 1 Samuel 2 over and over that Samuel was ministering before the Lord. He was serving the Lord. All this chaos, all this dysfunction happening. Eli, the high priest, is not rebuking his sons. He's not calling his sons back to repentance. He's just kind of letting it roll. And, and, and if you remember, the word of God to uh, Eli was this. Because of your silence, your household is not going to go on. Severe judgment comes to Eli, he knows. And so that's where Samuel in this story in 1 Samuel chapter 3 picks up. But what's interesting is, is verse 1. Look at it after the first part. It says, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Why? It's talking about in the nation of Israel. Why? Well, there's several reasons, right? The end of the book of Judges, as we've talked about, the context of, of 1 Samuel, that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, Right? So the word of God wasn't going forth as the lead. It was whatever people wanted to do, whatever their feelings were, whatever their preferences were, that was what was taking place. But not just that. Go back two weeks ago. You want to know why there was no word of God going forth, why there were no frequent visions? Is because the leadership over Israel was corrupt. The religious leaders were corrupt. They were the ones who, who were called to dispense the word of God, the ones to, to give vision to the people of God. And they were doing what? exactly what everybody else was doing, right? What was right in their own eyes. This is very familiar, a very familiar verse, maybe to most of you. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says this, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Some of your translations say this, where there is no vision, people perish, right? 
That is the con- that's what's taking place in the nation of Israel. Now, some of you, this describes your life. The word of the Lord is rare. There's no frequent vision, meaning God seems really distant. The vision of him in my life, the vision of, of his voice in my life, I've, I've almost lost that. And maybe some of you come into this space or this place just longing for that again. Like, I, I long to hear something. I long to see something because my ears, they don't hear the voice anymore of God. The word of God is rare. The vision of who he is and, and who he's called me to be, it's just, it's really dim. First Samuel chapter 3 is going to talk about that. It's going to talk and highlight a man, Samuel, who illuminates someone who hears the voice of God. But I want to start by, uh, with a, uh, you ever been, uh, you ever been like juked out by your kids? Like, you know, like you're trying to parent to the best of your ability and then they like, you know, cross you over and you're left like, what just happened? You know, um, that happened with my four-year-old. Um, my wife and I, we were correcting him and, and, and I, I realized I can't use the word corrected. We were uh, redirecting him. Um, we were correcting him. I'm just kidding. Um, we were correcting him. He was doing something. And, you know, I'm down on his level, eye to eye. And I'm like, buddy, you know, whatever we were saying. I was just talking to him and da 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 da. And he looks at me, and my wife, my wife could hear this. He looks at me and he goes, I can't hear you because you're speaking. <laughs> I mean, I got crossed over and he just walked off. And I'm like, I was so confused by that statement. I, it left me there just standing. I, I was like, Tessa, here's what he said. How do I parent this, right? Um, and uh, we pontificated by that time. He was 100 miles from, from where we needed him to be. Um, but I think that's how we approach God sometimes. I can't hear you because you're speaking. <laughs> and God's like, what? Like, God is a far better parent than I am. He's perfect. Um, I want to submit to you this morning that God's willingness to speak far outweighs our willingness to hear. God's willingness to speak far outweighs our willingness to hear him. And I want to submit to you the evidence of 1 Samuel 3, that God is constantly and continually speaking. And the reason in Israel why his voice had grown um, very dim or light and the vision was lost is not because God was not speaking. It's because we find a people not willing to listen to him, not willing to hear his voice. Verse two, and, and here's what we'll do this morning. We'll walk through the text line by line, verse by verse, and then we'll, kinda, we'll, we'll bring it home, okay? But I want to get into the text because I think for some of you, this text is really familiar to you. And so with familiar text, I like to go, okay, let's, let's refocus in on this. Let's hear what God is saying um, here. And, and by the way, for us as New Testament Christians, the primary way in which God speaks is through his word is through the word that he has given us, inspired by his Holy Spirit this morning. So that's, that's what I want to look at, especially when we're talking about something as massive as God speaking. Uh, verse 2 um, is interesting. It says this, At that time, Eli, the high priest, his eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. That is not just highlighting Eli's age. This is highlighting Eli's spiritual senses that his eyes are not just talking about old age eyes. It's talking about the eyes of his heart. 
The man by which God called and positioned his high priest who used to be the mouthpiece to the nation of Israel, his eyes are dim. He can no longer see. He can no longer hear the voice of God, which I'll talk about here in a little bit. And this was interesting. When I began to think about this, um, there's someone else whose eyes are talked about. And this is Moses, right? Once again, God speaking, God calling Moses, right? Moses, Moses, burning bush kind of deal. Look at this. At the end of Moses' life, this is in uh, Deuteronomy 34, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed. So here in 1 Samuel, you have Eli, the high priest. His eyes are what? Dim. Moses, who you have at 120 years old, the one thing I want you to remember is this, that his eyes, his spiritual eyes, were not dim. He could see, he could hear the voice of God. That is not saying that Moses was perfect, but Moses understood the heart of God. He understood the voice of God. And it says that his vigor was unabated. But there's a place here of hope in chapter three, and, and this is verses three and four. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was laying in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So let me be clear uh, because I've talked about this before, Samuel is not laying in the Holy of Holies, okay? He's not laying in there all snuggled up to the ark, okay? You know the penalty if you go into the Holy of Holies, right? On the wrong day and the wrong person, right? It's death. So what you have is the veil that separated that with a lamp outside of it that was constantly burning and meant to be fueled to represent the presence of God that is behind that veil. So think about this. Little Samuel is laying right there, by the lamp. So his nightlight is literally this lamp that meant to represent the presence of God. One, I think this shows a couple things. Samuel's commitment to his duty and work at the tabernacle. He's like, I'm not letting that lamp go out. That is my job. That's my duty. I am sleeping right there. And so it, it makes this um, connection here, and, and it's easy to miss. It makes this connection here to say that it, it, was, it was burning. It was kind of flickering. One, to tell us the time of night it was, Right? but also to say there is hope in Israel. There, even though the eyes of Eli are growing dim, there is a flash of hope, and it's a little boy lying outside the veil by the lamp that he keeps fueled to remind them of the presence of God that is still there. You see all these pictures? This is incredible. We just miss this if, if, we're, if we read it too fast. And then that which is rare occurs. God speaks, doesn't he? Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, three times. And what does Samuel do all three of those times? He wakes up, he's like, Eli? Okay. So he runs into Eli, and Eli, like anybody of us woken up in the middle of the night, is like, go back to bed, right? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. You're having a bad dream, right? Second time, same thing, didn't call you. Third time, Eli perceives that something spiritual is happening. So while Eli's eyes are dim, they're not fully shut. He perceives that this is the voice of the Lord to Samuel. And for Eli, this is a big deal. For all the things Eli gets wrong, he gets this one right. He perceives that this is the voice of the Lord for Samuel. And just put yourself in Eli's shoes for a minute. This is the high priest. He's the one whom God used to speak to. And the voice of God, the, the word of God would go out from him. Now, what is he observing? That God's voice is being heard by who? Someone else that the mantle is now being placed onto Samuel, off of him, that God's speaking to Samuel. This would have been, if Eli wanted to, he could have took, taken this a whole different direction, couldn't he have? And be like, hey, Samuel, why don't you come here, close to me, right? 
I want to hear that. I'm the high priest, Samuel. But Eli understands. And he says, next time he speaks, next time he speaks, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And Samuel listens and hears. And look at this in verse 10. And the Lord came and stood. Hold up. The Lord stood? So this is a a physical presence of God before Samuel. Who is this? Right? Is this the second person of the Trinity? Is this literally Jesus? Is this kind of like a, a, a Christophany right there? Jesus is before Samuel? Maybe. Could be. Possibly. But, Jesus, but, but God is standing there, possibly Jesus, right before Samuel. Talk about an, an encounter. And let's not forget how old Samuel probably is. He's probably early teens. And then verses 14, verses 11 through 14, the word of the Lord comes to Samuel and to Israel and to Eli. And if you'll notice, it's not a real comforting word that comes to Samuel, is it? The Lord says to him, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel responds back. And then what's laid out from the Lord is a very hard word. You need to go tell Eli. And not even just Eli, But verse, uh, what is it? Verse 11, the end of it. He says, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Um, That's a strange statement for us. For Samuel, he would have absolutely understood that. That when the Bible uses the word ears and tingling, there's one meaning, judgment. Judgment. And so he's telling young Samuel, listen, the word I'm speaking to you and you're going to have to speak is a word of judgment to the people, the people who have done what was right in their own eyes. So get ready, Samuel. This is the call upon your life. This is the voice. This is the word of God upon you. And he goes to test this theory out. I'm going to have you share this with Eli, a word that's already come to Eli through a prophet. But Samuel is tasked with taking this forward. Now, this would be a precedent for the future. Samuel would prove to be faithful to God in all that he's saying, no matter how difficult it is. And Eli, in fact, pulls this out of Samuel. Let's not forget Samuel is human. Look at this, verse 15. Samuel lay until morning. Can you imagine? Like, yeah, like, how am I gonna do this? Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. This would have been part of his job, his duty. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Yeah. Your family's going to end. Your ministry as the high priest is going to end. Your sons are going to die. You're going to die. What a first sermon, right? There it is. But Eli, again, for all that he gets right, gets this one wrong. He gets this one right again. He tells Samuel, do not hide anything from me. Even Eli knows the worst thing for him and the nation of Israel would be for Samuel to hide the truth, for him not to tell him the truth. And what does Samuel do? Verse 18, even with that fear, it says he was afraid. I love that because that just shows his humanity. He was was afraid, but he knew. He knew what was was most important was that the truth flowed out of his lips to Eli. And it says in verse, verse 18, Samuel told him everything and hid nothing. I want to stop right here. When the word of the Lord comes to us, there are some temptations that can occur. 
especially if you're someone communicating God's word. And I mean this in in a gospel conversation. I mean this in a small group. I mean this from a pulpit. There are the same temptations that can come as we rightly handle and communicate God's spoken word. The first thing is this. The first temptation is this, that you tell people or we tell people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. It's like we, we, we feel like we need to insert ourselves in these softeners, right? And listen, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I want us to be winsome. I want us to be all, I want us to be caring and loving, but I want us to be truth-filled tellers of God's word. People who, who don't give people just what they want to hear, but what they actually need to hear. And we walked through the book of Acts, and um, this has been a couple of years ago. One of the things that struck me about all the sermons that the disciples preached was that they were like really difficult. They were beautiful, they were winsome, they were all those things, but they were difficult. Why? Because they were communicating the truth in a way that going, you need to hear this. This may not be what you want to hear, but this is what you need to hear. You think about Jesus and how he spoke to people. I mean, he was perfect in eloquence in every form and fashion. But what did he do? He cut straight to the heart with what? Softeners and like passive. No, like with the truth, the truth of God. A temptation for us is to skirt around it. But what we see in Samuel is he communicates the truth to Eli, and it'll be something he communicates to the nation of Israel as well. Another temptation is this, is to affirm culture when we need to contradict it. Samuel could have went to Eli and go, you know, your sons aren't that bad. Eli, you're not that bad. At least you told me to like, you know, go, go before the Lord and, and say that. That's not what Samuel does. He literally comes to him and tells him the truth, which contradicts where they are at culturally. It is against where the nation of Israel is headed, where the word of God is infrequent, where visions are, are not there of who God is. He does not affirm that. He absolutely contradicts it. Now, in our context, this would maybe be said affirming the American church culture. Because I think some of you are like, yeah, we're not going to affirm culture. Okay. How about American church culture? where we just accept things and tolerate things because the church has always done them in this way or that way or because the church uh, receives them as certain things, right? What about contradicting the American church way to go, listen, we're not going to bow down to the uh, ideologies of, of political parties on either side. We're going to be people who sit under the truth and the word of God and let it contradict and convict us and offend us right where we are and right in the places we need to be contradicted. Why, do, why are we even tempted by stuff like this? Do you want to know why? Fear of man. Why, why, why was Samuel afraid? It's the high priest. Why, why, why am I afraid? I want to be liked. Can I just tell you the truth? I, I, I want to be liked, but, but listen, our desire must be to be faithful over being popular any day. Fair? Is everybody finished? Okay, good. Um, no frequent vision in the word of God being rare um, could be an indictment of our culture, our current culture. And I mean in the West, in the American church. I'm convinced this is why we are drawn, even in the church, to places and people that use these kind of words like vision and destiny and purpose. And there are nothing wrong with those words. Hear me. Those words are biblical. 
they become issues when we go searching for them and the dispensers of them tell us what our vision and destiny and purpose is in our lives and it always looks bigger, better, faster, stronger, wealthier, healthier, all of those things, that's where it becomes wrong and not biblical. God is trying to communicate the vision he has for your life. He is trying to talk about your destiny and about your purpose, but it's not going to come in the box you maybe expect it to come in. And one of the best ways we can serve you as pastors and elders of this church is to help you hear God's voice clearly, to understand it and to respond to it faithfully. Listen, we can become far too dependent on an outside voice telling us what God is saying about us, about our vision, about our destiny, about our purpose, when God is trying to speak through his word directly to you and to us. What is God saying? What's he saying to you? I want to help you discover what he's saying to you and to us collectively as a faith family. God is speaking, but we're oftentimes not willing to hear. So we go the short circuit route like, hey, you, preacher, guy, gal, you tell me what my vision is. You tell me what destiny is, what purpose is. And I will never preach um, four easy steps and how to blah, blah, blah. But I think there are some things in 1 Samuel 3 that get at the heart of the how. How do we hear God's voice? If God is speaking and he's willing to speak and he willingly is speaking, how do we hear him? How, How do we hear his voice? And the first thing is this, and this is just from 1 Samuel 3. We consistently show up and posture ourselves in a place to hear the truth. Capital T truth, like the truth, the word of God. And you know this. If you read your Bible or listen to it faithfully taught with humility, you know that it's going to upset you sometimes. You ever been there, right? You're like, yeah, right now, okay? Uh, It's going to offend you. It's going to confront some things in your life that make you feel uneasier. And why? It's because, like I said earlier, the word of God is not looking to affirm you. What the word of God is trying to do is to show you God, to show you who he is, The Bible, the word of God, would be very ungracious if it's trying to just affirm us where we are and where we naturally want to go. It would be handing you and me most oftentimes over to sin, and that is not grace. And let let me make maybe a, a clear point in some unclear things that I've said. There's a difference between the Bible being unpopular and unclear. I'm a fallible communicator. Anybody who gets up here, anybody who communicates, we are fallible. And so if, if you hear any unclear, lack of clarity this morning, it's because of me. It's not because of the lack of clarity in God's word. Um, but the Bible being unclear is often labeled um, mistakenly. And the fact is, it's just unpopular. The truths of God's word, many truths of God's word are just, frankly, unpopular in the cultures we swim in, right? Like God's good design for for our family or for gender or for sex, right? God's design that that we as a people will will gravitate toward worshiping a, a king, a lowercase k, king, and not Jesus. The Bible is not unclear on our radical responsibility to the sojourner and the poor, The Bible is not clear on our care for the orphan or the widow or our responsibility to value and protect all of human life, right? From the preborn child to those breathing their last. God is not unclear. Personally, God is not unclear about where our finances are to lie. 
first and foremost with him. Because well, we'll get to these, well, I guess the tithe actually, you know, New Testament, is it 10%? And I'm always like, oh, do away with the 10. You want to know the New Testament principle of giving 100% every time. So let's start there. The Bible's not unclear about that. Might be unpopular, but it's not unclear. Or how about our most valuable currency, our time, our schedules, the things that our lives gravitate around? Is it really unclear about the kingdom agenda that God sets for our lives? It's not, I would argue with you. It says that our lives are not our own. They're his, and they're to be lived in the service of his. You see, when there is ambiguity, perceived ambiguity, it's not in the Bible. It's not with the Bible. It's not ambiguity with the Bible. It's ambiguity with my heart. It pulls against the places and spaces I really don't want that truth to go. Anybody else been there? But what Samuel does, and to hear the voice of God, we have to position and posture ourselves constantly under the truth of God. In spaces and places like this, in personal devotions, in prayer, in community groups, in conversation, gospel conversations. And the way we show up is not by just posturing, but we show up there intentionally. We show up there with a humility and we show up there in a pursuit of holiness. We don't come in going, yeah, I know the truth, here's the truth. No, we come in with a humble posture. That's what we see with Samuel in 1 Samuel 3. And listen, when you're actually, when I'm actually pursuing truth and we're pursuing Jesus in our lives, our life is going to look a lot different. And I don't just mean it's going to be odd and unusual. I mean it's going to stand in stark contrast to those who don't actually follow Jesus. Uh, Eugene Peterson in his book, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, great book, read it if you haven't. He says this, he says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. And we, to that in the Bible, you know, the buckle of the Bible belt, we know that. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. You get that? There are not very many people signing up for the long endurance, the long suffering, the commitment to one another in a pursuit of holiness in a pursuit of Christ-centeredness. Oh, there is a big market for religious experience, and here's what it looks like. Running over here, I think God's over here. I think God's over here. No, he's not over here. Oh, my vision, my destiny, my purpose, where is it? Oh, I gotta find it. And here's what's going. Stop. Just keep showing up faithfully under the truth of God, under the word of God, with humility in the pursuit of holiness as you look to honor and glorify Jesus. That's it. And in those spaces, and in those places, God will begin to lead and speak to your heart. But we're so busy moving around. We're so busy that we miss the voice of God. So what do we, what do we have so far? We have show up, posture ourselves under the truth of God, show up with humility in a pursuit of holiness, and then we see first in, in Samuel, show up, and keep serving. Over and over and over again, I wish I, I, I counted how many times, Samuel, in chapters two and three, all it says about him is that he ministered. He ministered. He was working. He was serving. And let me tell you, this wasn't glorified work. This was grunt work. This was someone who was opening the doors. This was somebody who was just pouring in the lamp to this, 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 this wick that was burning brightly. He just kept serving in a very mundane way. And finally, the voice of God came to him. 
This reminded me of Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says this, let us not grow weary of doing good. How I many you know, like you can, even in good work, you can grow weary. And Paul's reminder in Galatians 6 is don't grow weary. I know the tendency. I know what can happen. Don't grow weary. Keep serving. Keep showing up. Keep with the humble posture that Samuel exemplifies. And, and think, about the, think about the surroundings of Samuel as well. Hophni and Phinehas, do you remember what they were doing? Yeah, I'm not going to explain it again, but it was everything under the sun to gratify their flesh. So the expectations on Samuel were so low, yet the sinful opportunities for Samuel were so high. And somebody after first service was like, why, why do you think Samuel, how did he kind of prevent from falling into that trap with Hophni and Phinehas? I think Samuel found himself busy. I think he, he found himself busy doing what the Lord has called him to do. I think Samuel found himself pursuing holiness rather than that which with Hophni and Phinehas were pursuing. I think also Hannah was back at home praying because she knew. So, right, praying moms, like, this is a big deal. Keep my son, hold him. She knew the chaos that was going on, and Samuel continued to serve faithfully. And my last point here is this, that God, in speaking, he seeks surrendered vessels, not gifted ones. Samuel was an unlikely candidate by resume for God to speak to. He wasn't from the right tribe. He wasn't a Levite. He was there and only able to be there because he took a Nazarite vow. He didn't have a seminary degree. He didn't have the intellectual understanding, but he had the heart. He had the understanding of what God wanted. So when God spoke, his words were this, your servant hears. Now, I tried the best to translate this out because that, 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 that phrase, I think, just gets kind of um, messed up. And the best translation is this that I could come up with, that when God speaks to Samuel that fourth time, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel's response back to him is, Lord, your servant, my answer is yes. That would be translated what he says back to the Lord. Samuel, Samuel, Yes, is what Samuel says. But you're like, hold up. God didn't even say what he wanted to tell Samuel. But yet Samuel puts his yes before the Lord. Samuel's going, I'm submitting my answer before God ever tells me what he wants from me. Yes. There's a story that uh, kind of circles around, I think in mostly Baptist circles, um, about a teenage girl who uh, a missionary was preaching at her church and at the altar time or the end time where, somebody like altar time, the end where they give a call to like come up to the front, that was the altar time, um, was the call to come forward uh, if they felt the call to go overseas, like as a missionary. And so this young girl, she comes forward, she's sitting there with her family, she comes forward and she's praying and, and she goes back and, and her family's leaving after church and they're in a car and her dad goes, did you feel the Lord call you uh, to overseas missions work? And she said, no, I, I don't know that yet. And she says this, she says, I just wanted to put my yes on the altar so that whenever God does call me to something, he already knows what my answer is. Um, I read that story this past week and I've thought a lot about it. Um, like, what does it look like to follow God without conditions? To hear him speak and for our response, without caveats, without disclaimers, with no limits, with no terms, with no conditions, is yes. 
Yes. So, well, Kyle, are you worried that everybody's going to go like be a missionary or or or, or be you know be in vocational church ministry? Are you aren't you worried about that? Listen, we'll feel that one when it happens. What I'm more worried about is that we're unwilling to listen. That we're more unwilling to go, Lord. Yes. Now, what are you saying? Lord, I'm willing to say yes. Why? Because the song we sing, because you're good and you do good, no matter what, what are you saying? Speak. What's your posture towards God's word? Towards the leadership of his Holy Spirit in your life? I do want to end here, and I hope you didn't hear me knocking other churches with those vision, destiny, and purpose statements. Because this statement is very true. God has a call on your life. God has a call on each one of your lives. He has saved you. He has redeemed you through his son, Christ Jesus. And he has a call upon your life. You say, God, what, 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 is that, what does that look like? I, I'm not sure what that looks like for you. Th- there are days where I wonder for me. But I know what God wants is not just to reform you morally and then he's satisfied. What he wants is to fill you with himself a growing knowledge of who he is, a deeper intimacy for him. We can get so wrapped up in calling in the specifics. You know the best demonstration of calling that we got this week? It was one of our covenant partners. She's um, um, struggling with cancer, and she was at a hospital, and Sam and I sat by her bedside. And she's, she's a business owner and just retired not that long ago, three or four months ago. And she looked at Sam and I, and she said, Retirement isn't what I thought it would be, which I thought was kind of a funny statement, but she had this vision, what she thought retirement would be, of ministry or calling or vision or destiny or purpose. She's laying in this bed, and she says that to us, and the next thing out of her mouth, though, she goes, you know, but I connected with this nurse, and he'd come in here, and he'd walk in here, and, and by the end of his shift, they were weeping together and praying together. Let me tell you, she understands God's call upon her life. That God's call upon her life is to demonstrate and be a visible testimony of his glory wherever you find yourself, right? If it's in the ideal box of what retirement would look like or if it's in a hospital bed, the glory and call of God upon your life does not change. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? And the only way we will actually believe that is if we hear the voice of God. No other way. If we see the word of God and believe it. Listen, hearing God's voice will put to death the American dream. I'm sorry to tell you that. Um, because you'll begin to work for a different kind of glory. You'll begin to realize that it's safer to be with God in his will than outside of it. You'll begin to live like there's actually something that lasts for an eternity and it's ahead of you. But the only way you're convinced of that is not by a better sermon or another worship music. It's by God's voice speaking to you. Samuel, Samuel. Yes. Let's pray. Father, um, as we begin to approach the tables of communion, my request is that you would do what you're doing this whole time. Continue to speak. 
Forgive us for our unwillingness to listen to you. Teach us to respond to you more quickly. Attune our ears, dig us ears, as your word says, to hear your voice. God, my, my ears and my heart are well acquainted with the accuser's voice. I want to be more acquainted with your voice, speaking and leading and drawing me deeper into you. Now, Lord, as you speak, give us the faith to obey. Give us, God, unhindered obedience to run where you call us to run as your children. So Lord, I pray even as we grab these elements of communion, we would steward it to hear your voice, that the reason we have access to you is through the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ. So let us steward this time for your glory. Let us hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.